Write the Torah on stones for all Israel to see. This is Israel's obligation. Link the crossing of the Jordan to the Torah and make the Torah on the stones thereby into an eternal testimony. Welcome to Bible 365, Episode 64, Israel's Foreign Ministry and the Crossing of the Jordan. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In the Foreign Ministry of Israel, there sits a synagogue used for the daily prayers of those that work therein. In that synagogue, there is a Torah scroll, which, in many ways, is like any other scroll in any other Jewish house of worship around the world. Yet there are two ways in which this Torah is unique one Judaic, the other very much not so. First, this Torah's scribal calligraphy hints to the unique traditions of a Jewish community that had long lived in what is today northern Iraq. And second, this Torah scroll bears on its parchment a stamp of the secret police of Saddam Hussein. The Jerusalem Post tells us that, quote, a Torah scroll written some 150 to 200 years ago in Iraq, but which fell captive to the Iraqi secret police, has been restored to its former glory and was recently inaugurated in an official ceremony at the Synagogue of the Foreign Ministry in Jerusalem, end quote. There are some mysteries surrounding this Torah, but one thing is clear. It embodies not only the miracle that is the Jewish people, but also the miracle of the Torah of the Jewish people, from Joshua to today. In a series of rituals and wonders, the people of Israel will reenact the experience of the exodus from Egypt. The purpose of this reenactment seems to be twofold. First, to impress upon the people that now they are about to achieve one of the central purposes for which the exodus occurred. And second, in order for Israel to understand that Joshua is not only the political but also the spiritual successor of Moses. The most obvious parallel to the Exodus will be the manner in which Israel, led by Joshua, enters the Holy Land, through the splitting of the Jordan River, or in Hebrew, the Yardane. It was at the sea that Exodus informs us that Vayaminu Bahashem of Moshe Avdo, the people seeing God's great hand against Egypt, believed in God and in Moses his servant. Now, the same faith will be placed in Joshua by the people. But if the similarities are striking, so are the differences. Let us listen to how this crossing at the Yardane occurred. Joshua speaks to Israel, chapter 2, verse 11. Behold, when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. And so it was. And the Ark and the priests that carry it stay in the midst of the river in order to ensure that the Yardane, the Jordan, stays split as all Israel crosses over. Verse 17. And the priests that bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel passed over on dry ground. So on the one hand, as with the Exodus, the miracle performed here brings about a profound trust in the servant of the Lord. Thus chapter 4, verse 14. On that day the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. But there's an important difference as to the way in which this miracle at the Jordan took place. Whereas Moses, at the Exodus, raised his hand over the sea, here it is the ark that drives the Jordan River's waters apart. Why the difference? The point, as many know, it seems clear. At the Exodus, the Torah had not yet been given. It was Moses who truly represented the instructions and guidance of God, and so it is he who splits the sea. But now the Ark of the Covenant is in existence, created to contain the tablets. It is the supreme symbol of the Torah. 
Israel is meant to understand that it is in the merit of the Torah that the river is splitting, in the merit of the Torah that Israel's entry is occurring, and in the merit of the Torah that Israel will ultimately endure. Thus, all the people pass only because the ark remains in the midst of the river. Chapter 4, verse 11, And it came to pass, when the priests that bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up to the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and flowed over all its banks as it did before. This, in turn, allows us to ponder the poetic power of the Torah that sits in Israel's foreign ministry today. The Jerusalem Post informs us as to the details behind this mysterious scroll. Quote, The exact story behind the Torah scroll and how it made its way to Israel remains, to some extent, shrouded in a diplomatic and political fog, but the basics of the account are now known. The Torah scroll is believed to be originally from the region of Kurdistan, now in northern Iraq. It was most likely used in prayer services for many years until the Jewish community was subjected to persecution and discrimination following the establishment of the State of Israel in 1948. Following Israeli independence, harsh restrictions were imposed by the Iraqi government on Jewish employment and trade, which, along with violent anti-Jewish riots, led tens of thousands of Jews to flee the country starting in earnest in 1949. By 1951, some 121,000 had left, with just 15,000 remaining. In addition to the restrictions and persecution, the Iraqi government also banned Jews from taking their property with them and seized assets from those who left. Among these confiscated goods were dozens of Torah scrolls and other items from synagogues that eventually made their way to various museums and archives. With the U.S. invasion of Iraq in 2003 and the subsequent fall of the Saddam Hussein regime, a period of anarchy took hold in the country, and before order could be restored to the conflict-torn nation, numerous museums were raided by looters and thousands of historical and archaeological artifacts were plundered. It is unclear how the Torah scroll obtained by the foreign ministry exited Iraq, but in around 2006 or 2007, it ended up in the hands of the Israeli embassy in Jordan. There it remained for another five years until the outbreak of the spate of revolutions and civil wars in Arab countries that began at the end of 2010. In September 2011, the Israeli embassy in Cairo was attacked by a huge mob and the foreign ministry decided to remove all extraneous items from its embassy in Amman in case of similar incidents. Among those items was the Iraqi Torah scroll, which was brought to the foreign ministry in Jerusalem and left there until preliminary steps were taken to assess the state of the scroll and the possibility of restoring it. End quote. Thus it was that a Torah from Iraq came to the Israeli embassy in Jordan through strange circumstances. And then, ultimately, the Torah made its way to Israel. This is a Torah that speaks to the love and loyalty for Judaism by Jews that lived in what is now northern Iraq. And after the Torah was restored and placed in the synagogue in the foreign ministry, it was noted at the welcoming ceremony that the Torah is a truly resonant symbol of Jewish endurance. And this, I think, is even more emotionally profound when we think of Israel's embassy in Jordan bringing the Torah over the Jordan, retracing the journey of the Ark of the Covenant so many, many years ago, an original journey that was itself meant to mark the link between the Torah and the Jewish journey. And it is not only the Ark that will emphasize the Torah's importance to the journey of Joshua's generation. Chapter 4 begins as follows. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of the Jordan, 
out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. What is going on here with these stones? The rabbis explain that this action was performed in fulfillment of the original instruction of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 27. And Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you this day, and it shall be on the day when you shall pass over the Jordan to the land which the Lord thy God gives thee, that thou shalt set thee up great stones and cover them with plaster, and thou shalt write upon them all the words of this Torah, when thou art passed over, that thou mayst go into the land which the Lord thy God gives thee, a land flowing with milk and honey. Write the Torah on stones for all Israel to see. This is Israel's obligation. Link the crossing of the Jordan to the Torah and make the Torah on the stones thereby into an eternal testimony. Which parts of the Torah are to be inscribed upon the stones? Is it, as some suggest, certain commandments, or, as others say, all the mitzvot, or is it the entire text of the Torah? We will discuss this question when the inscription is described in chapter 8. But for now, we take notice of what emerges from Joshua that is not originally in Deuteronomy. Whereas Moses only commanded Israel that the stones be set up, here, as the rabbis explain it, the stones intended to bear the Torah are taken from the Jordan River itself. The meaning is, again, that the Jordan split because of the Torah. Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch in his commentary on Deuteronomy describes Moses' original commandment as follows. Quote, As soon as you prepare to cross the Yardane, engage in erecting stones for the sake of the Torah, so that you begin erecting them before you have completed the crossing. For only by virtue of erecting these stones will you be able to cross the Yardane and enter the promised land. Only thanks to the Torah will you be given the land. Solely for the sake of the Torah, for its preservation and observance, will you merit to possess the land. And you shall demonstrate this truth immediately upon your crossing of the river that marks the boundary of the land. End quote. So it is fitting, ladies and gentlemen, when we think about it, that the Torah from Iraq that crossed the Jordan sits in Israel's foreign ministry. For there is an element to the Torah written on the stones that is intended for international outreach as well. This is what Moses further instructed in Deuteronomy And thou shalt write upon the stones all the words of this Torah. Ba'er Hetev, Hebrew words which mean well explained or plainly inscribed. Simply understood, this means that the Torah should be written on the stones in a way that Israel can read and understand the words. But for the rabbis, it means that the Torah should also be translated on the stones so that other peoples can read it as well. This highlights, as Rabbi Hirsch comments, a universalistic aspect to Israel's covenant. The Torah links Israel to the land, but the Torah ultimately is intended to bless the entire world. There is perhaps one final detail to this foreign ministry Torah that allows us to truly understand the fullness of its poetic power. Who was this man who found the worn-out scroll with the seal of Saddam in the Israeli foreign ministry and sought to have it restored so that it could be read in synagogue? Again, I quote the Jerusalem Post, quote, Amnon Israel, the new manager of storage and supplies for the ministry, noticed the scroll in a storage room on his first day in his new job in November 2013. He realized the scroll was in poor condition and sought to find out how much a restoration job would cost, end quote. And who, ladies and gentlemen, is Amnon Israel? 
the one man who discovered this old Torah read by Jews from the Kurdish region of the Middle East was himself a Kurdish Jew, a direct descendant of the community that produced this Torah. The providential poetry is impossible to ignore. Of all the individuals who work in the Israeli foreign ministry, this is the one to find it, to find essentially his family's Torah. I quote again from the article. Israel, himself of Iraqi origin from a family that came from northern Iraq, said he was thrilled to have played a part in bringing about the restoration of the Torah scrolls. His paternal grandfather was a mayor of the town of Dohuk, close to the border with Turkey. His family, including his father, seven siblings, and two grandparents, left Iraq in 1951 and had to leave all their possessions and property behind. Israel said his father, who was 22 when he left Iraq and is now 86, was moved to tears by the ceremony. Perhaps my own grandfather once touched and read from this Torah scroll, Israel told the Post. Somehow the merit to help bring about the restoration of the scroll fell to me. The story of Kurdish Jewry has not really been told, but here we have a tangible part of our history back in our hands, and it is uplifting to have been part of this process. End quote. It is such a moving tale. This Jew found a long-lost Torah, but what he also found was himself, his family, his long-lost community. What we see from this story is that the Torah, more than any other object in Judaism, has the power to bridge generations and to connect one with communities and moments in history that are long gone to bind us to the Jewish journey of generations. And while Amnon Israel's relationship to the Torah is no doubt unique, in a certain sense he embodies all of us, for we all are bound to a Torah that crossed over the Jordan with Joshua so many years ago. And we Jews all link ourselves to a father named Abraham that came from what is now the Iraq region of the Middle East. Abraham, who crossed over into the land of Israel. Abraham, who began a story that is so profoundly linked to the Torah. Speaking personally, I hope to have the opportunity to pray one time in that foreign ministry synagogue and to read from the Torah there as I ponder how the miracle of Joshua and the Jordan is the miracle of the Jews, a miracle that continues to inspire to this day. This is Mayor Soloveitchik wishing all those listening on Erev Sukkot a Chag Sameach signing off.